Well, amen. It's good to see you here tonight. Will you join me please in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 as we continue through the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And so we'll begin by reading verses 15 through 20 of Philippians chapter 1. The Bible says, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Amen. So let's remember that the Apostle Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He has been arrested in Jerusalem, made the long journey, and he's ready to stand before Caesar. He appealed unto Caesar. He's now in Rome, and he's awaiting his trial. And he lets them know in verse 12, all that had befallen him had happened to him for the furtherance of the gospel. Isn't that amazing, his mindset? To be able to say, even through a difficult situation, I know God's in control, and I know this has happened unto me, because God wants the gospel to go forth. And in verse 13, all who were in Caesar's palace, and in all the other places, he says, um, all those other places surrounding the area, they're all here. the gospel. This is a stronghold of Satan. This is Nero who's in charge. And yet God has put the Apostle Paul in there to infiltrate that arena and get the gospel out. And because of his boldness, we saw in verse 14, people were waxing confident and they were in turn bold to preach the gospel as well. Amen. It's contagious. And then from last week, we saw in verses 15 through 17, how some were preaching Christ of right motives, but some weren't. Some were preaching out of envy and strife and contention, not sincerely. And others were preaching out of goodwill, out of love, knowing that Paul had been set for the defense of the gospel. It is my opinion that both groups were preaching a right gospel. Paul does not upbraid them as he does in Galatians. I believe they are saying that Christ is the only way, but their motives are all kind of wrong. And so he doesn't rebuke them for that. But they, what just blows my mind is they're preaching the gospel, hoping to add affliction to Paul. Isn't that so strange to hear it is for me? Uh, they're hoping to add affliction to my bonds. And then they're preaching the gospel. And uh, the other ones, though, they wanted to be an encouragement to Paul. And that's how we ended, ended last week, was just be an encouragement to people. It's just be an encouragement one to another. How much better would we do if we would just start encouraging? You know, listen, I'm all for rearing children right, but I'll tell you what, encouragement goes a long way. Amen. Don't be a jerk just because you're good at it. Amen. I mean, some of us are good at it. And I say us. I... <laughs> all right, we'll leave that alone. But don't, don't, don't be that guy. Now, for today, we want to begin by considering Paul's reaction to these two groups of preachers. Look at verse 18 again. 
What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Now, I mentioned Paul's maturity from what he stated in verse 12, how he was able to look at his situation, know it was for the furtherance of the gospel. His own difficult circumstances never pulled him away from the main thing. Amen. He stayed focused on what God had for his life. And now in these verses, we see more of Paul's maturity. But once again, it's tying back to the main thing being the main thing. You say, what's the main thing? It's reaching the lost with uh, the gospel. Amen. That's what we're here for. That's right. We need to fill Jerusalem with our doctrine. Amen. We are here to reach people for Christ. And so Paul asked, what then? Some are preaching out of contention, some out of love. What then? He's saying, well, what difference does it make? Now look, I don't think Paul is in any way being indifferent. I don't think he's being dismissive of their wrong motives and their attitude. And, and I think he's saying as much in the preceding verses by pointing out they're preaching by contention, they're preaching out of love. But understand, Paul here, he's saying, look, I'm just glad, I'm joyful that people are getting the gospel. I mean, he's just happy about that. And we just see this maturity in Paul. He says, I therein do rejoice and will rejoice. Why? Because Christ is being preached. Paul wasn't concerned with who got the credit. He isn't condoning their wrong motives. But his spirit and attitude was, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be delighted that Christ's name is being preached. No matter their motives, Paul could look at that and he could rejoice that the gospel was being shared with the lost. You see, Paul understood that neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Hey, if Christ is being preached, I'm excited about that, he says. I cited John the Baptist last week. But do we have that attitude? that we must decrease and Christ must increase. Paul's reputation was of no concern to him. He just wanted Christ to get all the glory. He was just glad people were being saved. You see, Paul could have chosen to rally those who were in his corner, those who were preaching out of love, those who knew he was set for the defense of the gospel. He could have rallied them to his cause and he could have had them go out and reprimand these these people that were preaching out of wrong motives, but his focus was more on the message than the man. And since the message was all about Christ, he rejoiced. So I have to ask tonight, how is our spirit and attitude? Do we have this same kind of attitude? There may be those who do things differently than we do. And there are. But are they preaching the gospel? Listen, if they're preaching the gospel of Christ, they're not my enemy tonight. They may have a praise band. It's not my bag. They may not have the same idea of reverence as we do. They may use different versions. They may have different approaches, but guess what? Many of them, they're getting the word out. People are being saved. They're still preaching Christ as the only means of salvation. I've said it before, but you can go to a lot of churches in our city and you can lay our statements of faith side by side and you're not going to see a whole lot of difference. What are you going to see? You're going to see some differences in what I would say are worshiping the Lord and the beauty of holiness. 
And Paul says, look, I'm just going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice that they're reaching people for Christ. Now, let me be clear. We've got to stand for doctrinal purity. We're not going to budge on that. That's what Paul was doing over in Galatians. He said, I didn't even give them the space of an hour. So we've got to stand for the right doctrine, and I'm not advocating watering down the Bible. I mean, we're going to stick with the King James. I'll die with the King James in my hand. But listen, my fight isn't with the church down the road. It is possible to rejoice that people are being saved without yoking up with them and adopting their standards. Here's the thing that I have, that I believe is what's happening. God blesses truth. And God can use a donkey (laughs) to speak truth. And God blesses truth. When truth goes out, His Word doesn't return void. Whether it's with wrong motives or not. God is sovereign. He can use people to lead others to Christ any way He sees fit. In John 3.8 it says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Isn't it interesting that um, once that baby is ready to be born, it's going to be born. If you've been in the delivery room, that's all I need to say. (laughs) Amen. When somebody's ready to be born again, it's going to happen. There's a lot of labor up to it, but that's a whole other message. And so where the wind goes, where it comes from, I could tell you as a weatherman, but that's not here. Uh, But listen, God is in control of it all. And we have to learn to rejoice at the good which takes place, whether or not it fits our little independent Baptist circle. I told you the one night preachers are here from out of town. Uh, amen. Y'all stick with me. I, I... <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm doctrinally a Baptist by conviction, through and through. And I firmly believe in an independent church. I believe that's God's way. But God really does work in mysterious ways. Just look at how God used people in the Bible. Many were people that we would never think were capable of being used the way in which they were. I mentioned the donkey. Uh, God even used Balaam. God still used Jonah. I mean, I always think if Jonah came to our city, who would listen? I mean, God used that message because He spoke truth. His motives weren't where they needed to be. God used Abraham even though he had a lying problem about Sarah. God used Moses after he murdered a man. God used David after he committed adultery and had Uriah killed. God still used Samson. Go to our New Testament. God still used Peter after he betrayed Christ. He still used all of the disciples even though they forsook Jesus and fled. God changed Saul of Tarsus into the Apostle Paul. God still used John Mark later on after he left Paul on the missionary journey. And we could keep listing examples from the Bible, and we can even consider those that God has used since Bible times and even in our lifetime that we might look at and we would say, man, God ain't gonna, He's not going to use that. But, but here's the bottom line. None of us are perfect. But God still uses us. Strive for holiness. I'm not saying you understand my heart. But He'll still use us for His glory. 
But I wonder how many have we cast aside because we've looked at them and we've said, no, that's just not what we're looking for. How many have we cast aside because they had some terrible sin in their past? And we've thought, well, God's, God's not going to bless them. I've seen a lot of those people go on after they got their heart right and God used them greatly. I just don't want to give up on people, I guess, is what I'm saying. How does God do this? Because He blesses truth. Now, I have no problem with this verse when it comes to churches of different stripes. I don't know why. It just doesn't bother me. But I got to tell you, I get challenged with this verse when it comes to those under the label of independent Baptist. I get challenged. (laughs) Amen. Uh, It may may be a bigger challenge for me as your pastor because uh, I hear all the naysayers out there more often. And I choose not to make it an issue in here, and I really don't bring it to your attention. I've mentioned before how surprised I was when I became a pastor that my biggest battle has been Baptist preachers. That's a fact. I had always heard it, but the half had never been told me. I had to see it with my own eyes. The most negative comments have not come from churches that have a different idea of holiness, have a different idea of reverence, have a different music way, have a different all this. I've never had anybody from one of those come and bless me out. Not once. But all the envy and strife and contention has come from those who are independent Baptist. That's been my experience. Could it be that those in other types of churches are too busy getting the word out while we're too busy arguing about how we're dotting our I's and crossing our T's? We've had some very negative things said about us by other independent Baptist pastors. And in those moments, this verse becomes a challenge for me. And I think, Lord, how am I supposed to obey this right now? Because in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. (laughs) Paul says, I'm just rejoicing that the gospel is being preached. Now, I can tell you, I have never, ever railed in return. Not once. I say that with a clear conscience before God. And I have asked God... Help me to remember they're preaching the gospel. This isn't about us. This isn't about them. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, it doesn't matter what happens to my name. You know, a dead man doesn't care. It's not about what happens to our name. But what does God think about our name? Are we right in His sight? We are to be more concerned with what happens with Jesus' name than our own. And I'll tell you, at the end of the day, I I do. I I rejoice because are being saved. I know their motives are wrong. I know. I know it's out of envy. I know it's out of strife. I know it's out of contention. But you know what? The gospel's going forth. And Paul says therein, I do rejoice, and I will rejoice. This may be for me tonight, but this verse is just a challenge. And listen, our country is so deeply divided. We don't need the church house divided. 
I'm so encouraged that several churches are showing up for our ladies' retreat. Listen, our fight's not with them. And, and we're so divided right now in this country, the last thing we need to do is be wasting time with envious and contentious preachings and dealing with other people and, and trying to split hairs and all the rest. I don't want to turn the fight inward against other brethren, but let's remember that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, I believe what helped Paul to rejoice and to stay focused, even though there were those preaching out of wrong motives, was because Paul did understand God is in control. God's going to sort it all out. <laughs> Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts and then shall every man have praise of God. You see, the, the, the time is coming one day when the Lord is going to reveal the motives of each heart. And the truth is, in that day, there may be many independent Baptists who learn that God was with those who they were against. 1 Corinthians 3, 11-15 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. God's going to separate the goats from the sheep, the wheat from the chaff. He's going to decide what works are pure and which ones were out of wrong motives. Let's let God sort that out. Let's not get distracted by those with wrong motives. But let's keep in mind that God has put us here for the furtherance of the gospel. And what Satan wants to do is divide and conquer and get us to focus on so-and-so so that we get our minds off of the main thing. And we have to just stay the course and just stay with it. And so while we are called to doctrinal impurity, let's be careful about casting stones at others. Let's work at not judging anything before the time, but let's just rejoice that, hey, they're seeing people saved. Whoop! Listen, I didn't get saved in an independent Baptist church. I got saved with a Southern Baptist, and Lord knows they don't have standards. All right. <laughs> yeah, I could. I could. The stories I could tell you. Amen. All right. Anyway, let's move on to verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. How was Paul able to filter through all the noise? Right? Because listen, I got to tell you, when the attacks come, I'm flesh and blood and I do get down. I do, and I'm working on that. And how did Paul deal with it? How was he able to filter this out? How was he able to continue to rejoice even when others were against him? What was it that gave Paul his clarity and his focus? Well, notice that he took comfort knowing others were praying for him. He says, through your prayer. More importantly, he also had the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And he says, I know that this is going to turn for my salvation. That salvation that Paul is referring to is not his personal salvation as it relates to his standing before God, but he's talking about his physical well-being, his deliverance, but also his personal vindication against those who were preaching, hoping to add affliction 
to his bonds. You see, Paul believed in the power of prayer. He wrote this in 2 Corinthians 1.11, Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. You know, it is such a comfort to know when others are praying for us. It just helps you. And Paul's comforted here by their prayers. The prayers of the saints directed to God on our behalf gives us strength to continue and to stay focused through these trials. But Paul was not only gaining from the prayers of others, he not only believed in the power of prayer, but he knew the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He knew that the Lord was with him. And when we know that the Lord is on our side, we can persevere joyfully through all the trials, all the tough circumstances. Paul is imprisoned. And he's saying, I rejoice and I will rejoice. He had a supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He believed that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to His purpose. Remember what Paul wrote in verse 6 of this chapter, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a work, good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul had a confidence that could not be shaken. He knew deep down everything was going to be all right one way or the other. He knew God would see him through. And he possessed this confidence because the Spirit of God was with him. It was within him. It dwelt within him. He was a born-again child of God. And the Spirit of God testified to his spirit that he was his child. And listen, when we have that kind of walk with God, we know that God is going to get us through one way or the other. You say, what does that mean? Whether we die or go to heaven. Who was it? John R. Rice, I think, said, you can't threaten me with heaven or something to that effect. I don't know. I guess many people have said it. Amen. just sounds cool that it makes it sound like I know somebody. Amen. <laughs> Listen, we ought to be praying for one another. Amen. I hope that's your desire, and I hope you are. Not just in here on Wednesday nights, but pray without ceasing. ceasing. Have this remembrance of our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the week. Paul said in Ephesians 6.18, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. See, Paul understood that the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Just as Peter was delivered from prison when the church prayed for him, so Paul knew he would be delivered thanks to their prayers for him. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2 says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Paul was on the docket to stand before a very unreasonable and wicked man, Nero, the Caesar. But you know what his desire was? That the word of the Lord would have free course. You don't find the apostle Paul saying, Lord, if you could just get me out of this, I promise I'll serve you. That's what we like to do in our circumstances, right? Lord, get me out of it, I promise. I know I haven't been reading my Bible. You get me out of this, I'm going to be reading my Bible. And we try to make these deals with God. And Paul says, look, I just want the Word of God to have free course. But not only are we to be a praying people, 
but we must also be a people who are dwelling in the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Ah, that's where the challenge comes, isn't it? We must be filled with the Spirit of God. Paul could sense the Spirit of God in his life. He listened to the Spirit. He obeyed the Spirit. And really, it's that simple. Obey the Spirit's leading. Of course, we make it complicated, don't we? He calls it here the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. See, it's not something that we can muster up in our own strength. But it must come from God. He supplies what we need. You see, God doesn't just save us and expect us to wander around aimlessly. God comes alongside of us and He ministers to our needs. Isn't that exciting? Listen, God the Creator says, I'm not going to leave you. I'll come alongside you. I'll minister to your needs. I'll get you through this. What do you have to do? You have to yield yourself. 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, Paul said, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the priest be fully known that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So say, even when all men forsook me, the Lord stood with me and He strengthened me. He delivered me. Whatever God called Paul to, he understood that all his supply would be net, met in Christ. Amen. All that he needed. He said, it's the supply of Jesus Christ. All that I need. I know if God's called me to it, God's going to get me through it. And I know that if God has called me to it, He's going to supply all of my needs. We don't have to walk around wondering what's up. God provides what we need in every circumstance in life. Do you believe that? Every circumstance. I don't understand what's going on. Just trust God. Trust God. You can know this, whatever circumstance come into your life, it's for the furtherance of the gospel. Amen. We just need to walk in the Spirit. So we find it was the prayer of the believers, the supply of the Spirit that was keeping Paul focused on God's will, which again is ultimately the furtherance of the gospel. And I think anytime you find yourself in a situation, your mind ought to go in that direction at some point. Say, Lord, who is it you want me to reach? Obviously, God wants to work on your heart as well. Lord, who is it you want me to reach? Look at verse 20, and we'll see how Paul wanted them to be encouraged that while he was in prison, he knew God was still at work. He writes, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And so he says here, According to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Paul had hope. Nobody can take that away from you. Paul wrote this in Romans 5, 5, Hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You see, it all comes back to the Spirit. It all comes back with walking with God. And sometimes in the Bible, when it speaks of being ashamed, it is associated with our hope and trust, or lack thereof, in our God. 
For example, Psalm 25, 2 and 3, which we sing uh, during our scripture songs. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. It goes on to say, yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. You see, David there, he acknowledges that he has placed his trust in God alone. And then he says this, let me not be ashamed. I've proclaimed you openly as the one that I trust. Now, God, don't let me be ashamed. Come through for me, God. Don't let my enemies triumph over me because they know that I have placed my trust in you. Don't let me be ashamed. Don't let any of that trust in you be ashamed. Don't you know the enemy wants us to be ashamed of our God? Do you remember when, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but do you remember when Rabshakeh, the king of Assyria, came against Hezekiah and Judah? You remember that account, but I took some snippets out of Isaiah. They pieced it together. Here you go. Thus saith the king, let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you, neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. The city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah. Beware, lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arphad? Where are the gods of uh, Sepharvaim? And have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who are they among all the gods of these lands? They have delivered their land out of my hand that the Lord should... I read that wrong, I think. Who are they among all the gods of these lands that have delivered their land out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? Say, hey, trust in your God if you want, but He's not going to come through for you. You're going to be ashamed. Don't listen to Hezekiah. He's going to tell you, trust in the Lord. But look at all these other nations we conquered. They had gods. Where were their gods for them? They're all ashamed now. And you're next. Paul says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. I believe Paul here, he knew he wasn't going to be ashamed having placed his hope and trust in God. Do you have that kind of faith? I know God's going to come through for me. It doesn't necessarily mean deliverance. I know God's going to come through. He's going to use my life, and I'm not going to be ashamed of Him. In fact, I mean, let's take note here. According to my earnest expectation, you know what that means? Paul says, I am anxiously awaiting with great anticipation to stand before Nero. (laughs) And if you study this out, it almost... To me, it gives me the picture of some, somebody standing on their tiptoes looking over a fence saying, is he coming yet? Is he coming yet? He's ready. He's ready. And he says, I'm not going to be ashamed. That's the confidence of those who have the Spirit of God. He's at the starting line. If you can picture a guy, and he's waiting for the gun to sound. He says, I'm not ashamed. I won't be ashamed. God hasn't failed me yet, and He isn't going to start failing me now. Hallelujah, what a Savior. But that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. See, Paul just wanted Christ magnified. 
He wanted Christ to get the glory. And I believe this, Paul never forgot that encounter that day on the road to Damascus. He never forgot that God brought him from a murdering Pharisee with hatred and bigotry and all the rest to becoming the Apostle Paul, who now was receiving that persecution. And he never forgot that experience. He never forgot how God showed up and transformed his life and took him out of the grasp of a devil's hell. Put him on the path to glory. And he never forgot that after he was born again, he spent three days blind until Ananias showed up. And Paul knows, look, I owe too much to the Lord. You hear what I said? You see... He knew Christ had changed his life. And now he wants his life to count for Christ. And we'll see later on in this book, he's just trying to apprehend the one that apprehended him. And that's how we ought to be, folks. We ought to be able to recognize that we were just as wicked as that fellow right over there. And if it had not been for the grace of God, we'd be in that same situation. And now, Lord, take my life. Use it for your honor and your glory. I've died to self. He wasn't ashamed. He just wanted to magnify Christ. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is what? It's your reasonable service. Preacher shouldn't have to beg to get you to come down and give your heart to Christ. It's your reasonable service. You should just surrender to the Lord because that's the right thing to do. Whoop. Now we're going to have to finish the end of we'll have to finish the end of verse twenty next week. But uh, let me close by asking you: Is Christ being unified in your life? Take inventory of your life. What are you doing that's magnifying Christ? Are you fearful at work to testify? Or can you with all boldness speak about Jesus? Well, they, we're not supposed to do that. I wasn't supposed to do that in the military either, but I did it. Amen. Said you get in trouble? Yeah. Still got promoted. Amen. I had medals denied because I was a Christian. I can prove it. I mean, I, but listen, I don't dwell on those things. I'm just saying, you still have to promote the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to declare His name. Among the law. He said, well, I'm just too scared. I'm too scared when I get around family to, to preach. I'm too scared around my friends. Listen, don't ever forget what Christ has done for you. And we ought to be willing to bear whatever cross that Christ has called us to bear. I believe we ought to be encouraged here by Paul to never lose hope. Whatever you're going through tonight, and, and we all have our storms and our trials, whatever you're going through, have hope in God. Keep your hope in God. Paul didn't recant, but he pressed on. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Christ because he knew it was the power of God unto salvation. He understood that God was still on the throne. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter the cultural direction of our nation. That's long gone anyway, amen? We are now a square peg in a round hole. We just don't fit. Amen. And it ought to be that way no matter what. Yeah. And that's the problem with too many churches now. We all are trying to fit in. Yeah. Right. But, but anyway, listen, we ought to be willing to, to boldly give the Word of God. It doesn't matter if, if the world doesn't agree with what God's Word says on marriage and on 
gender issues and, and on abortion and on this massive debt we're racking up. And we ought to be able to just go forward preaching Christ. Listen, all we need is God. I like the saying that goes something like this. I think it's something like God plus one is a majority. I don't like the plus one part because God is the majority. But anyway, listen, even if it's just us in here with God, we're the majority. God is on our side. I don't need the White House on my side. I wouldn't mind it. I don't need it. Because I serve the King of Kings. He's the governor among the nations. And so we just have to be bold in our witnessing. Speak the Word of God with boldness wherever you go. Well, They don't want to hear it. I know, they're lost. You probably didn't want to hear it either when you were lost. Listen, we've, we've printed up those invitations that have the plan of salvation and all our church information on it, and I want you to take those and hand them out. That's what we're doing this year. We're, we're, get, we're filling Jerusalem with our doctrine. And listen, you ought to have boldness in doing that. Don't be ashamed. If you have the Spirit of God, you'll have boldness. Where the Spirit of God is, there's liberty. And don't worry about what others may say. They don't like you now anyway. Just do what God wants you to do. And we may not face this, the same thing as the Apostle Paul here. We may one day, but... We still need this mindset. So what questions are you facing in life? What is unfolding around you that you didn't see coming? Don't let that deter you from what God wants you to be and what God wants you to be doing. Stand boldly. Stand boldly in the presence of sarcastic and hateful sinners that don't want to hear it. I'm so glad that somebody kept telling me Never be ashamed of God. He'll never let you down. Amen. Keep the main thing the main thing. And anxiously look for opportunities to present Christ to others. You see, Paul had a deep personal walk with his God, and as a result, he never lost sight of why he was where he was at. And no matter the outcome, he says, I just want Christ magnified. And I pray that we can learn from Paul's example. Let's pray.